Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Okay, good. You're out there. All right, that's good. Um, Unfortunately, there are many promises made, but not all promises are kept. So throw out a few examples. Uh, We're coming into an election year, so politicians, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, we're going to hear a lot of things over the next 10 months, some of which may actually come to pass, and, you know, others maybe not so much. Um, Airlines would be another example. Uh, My wife and I were traveling this week, and we had a good experience where our flights were on time. But if you have ever done any kind of traveling, I'm sure you've experienced a time when the airline promised you they were going to leave and land at a certain time, and it actually turned out not to be the, the case. Then there are spouses. Spouses, well, maybe you've experienced this firsthand, or maybe you've seen a, another couple where a spouse did not keep their promises, did not keep the vows that they they made. And we know the kind of pain and, and hurt that that brings. And then we can just look at ourselves, right? I mean, we, we could give examples, I'm sure, every one of us, of promises that we have made that we have not, for whatever reason, been able to follow through on. So it's understandable that we might have a measure of skepticism when it comes to promises that someone is making, even, even God making promises to us, right? We're, we're talking this month about promises, as we talk about Advent, promises that God has made. Today we talked about hope. And so God is, is promising things, and we, we want to place our hope in those things, but what if he doesn't follow through or doesn't come through in the way that we're expecting? Another week we'll be talking about joy. Some of you are just under some, some tremendous pressure and during, even during this season, when we talk a lot about joy, you may be thinking, I'm, yeah, I'm not experiencing it. Where is this joy that God has promised? Peace. Yeah, we, we look at peace internally. Sometimes we're not experiencing that, let alone looking out into our world and seeing the mess that our world is in. Where is the, the peace that God has, has promised the promises that God made are, they were made thousands of years ago. So it's kind of like, sometimes we might question, like, does that still apply to me? And why should I think that God is going to keep his promises any more than any of the people around me are perfect at keeping theirs? What I want to do this morning is I want to offer to you the, the history of Christmas as evidence that God can be trusted and that he is a promise keeper. So we're going to look specifically at the history of Christmas. I'm not talking about, I want to be very clear here, not talking about the expression of Christmas that we experience year after year that we're experiencing right now. The, the lights, the food, the, the companies that are capitalizing on this holiday, holy day, 
to, to make their income for the year, their revenue that they're looking at. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the, the history of why do we have this holiday, this holy day in the first place. And as we look at that, I, I would submit to you that's evidence that God keeps his promises. To see that, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 1. Well, the first service got a little more reaction than that. You guys are just <laughs> stunned silence. No, we really are going to turn to Romans chapter 1. You know, every year, just when you thought it was safe to put away your, your Romans study guide, every year we, we have these two major holidays, right? We have, we have Christmas, we have Easter, and it's a challenge sometimes. How do we talk about this in a fresh way uh, that you're not like, okay, here's the same thing over and over again. So this year, I thought, since we've been in Romans, we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to look at the first four verses of Romans over the next several weeks. And don't worry, we're, we're just going to use them as a launching pad, okay? And that's going to take us to the, the Christmas narratives as well. And then I promise, uh, come January, we're going to move on uh, completely from Romans, okay? All right, we're, we're going to highlight two key ideas that relate to God's trustworthiness that we find in the first two verses of Romans here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's the first word that we're going to look at. And then in verse 2, which he promised beforehand. In the Greek, that's one word, promised beforehand. That's the second thing we're going to look at. Through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. So we're going to look at gospel and promised beforehand. First, first gospel. I want to put on the screen the, the Greek, uh, the transliteration of the Greek. The, the Greek word gospel is euangelion, and if we pull that apart, it's eu, which means good, and angelos. What do you notice about the word angelos? Angel, okay? And so the word, the word for angel in Greek can mean either angel or messenger. And so here we're seeing you plus angelos is good message or good news as we common translate the, the word gospel. So gospel means good news. We find it in this first sentence of Romans because then it's going to get unpacked, right? And we just spent, you know, 11 months unpacking what the gospel is all about. It's also found in the Christmas narrative. And so some of you will remember this from Luke 2. Some of you will remember it from reading. Some of you will remember it from Linus on Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, I really, I love that so much. And now I can't watch it anymore because I have to pay to watch it and I'm not doing that. But anyway, I just have good memories of Linus reciting this from Luke 2, the real meaning. Charlie Brown, this is the real, this is what Christmas is really all about. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. You and Gelion, the same, same word, of great joy that will be for all the people. So we have an angel, a messenger, saying, I bring you a a good message. I bring you good news of great joy. And I love that phrase too, because in the Greek, it's mega, mega joy for all the people. Let's talk about gospel. Okay. And I want to share, I want to share, this is going to be kind of a little surprise for, for some of you. You know, the, the series is called Unwrapping, Unpacking the Greatest Gift. So when you open a gift, 
a lot of times you're surprised, right? Sometimes not, but a lot of times you're surprised, like, wow, this is really cool. So I'm gonna be sharing several surprises with you about the, the Christmas story the next several weeks. So the, the surprise about the word gospel is that the gospel, that word was not, it didn't start to be used with Jesus. It was in use hundreds of years before. So first example is uh, Alexander the Great. That's actually when the word came to be used very commonly. As Alexander the Great is conquering, he's all about conquering, taking new lands. He's about expanding his kingdom. As Alexander would go into a new area, he would tell them, he would announce, I have good news. I'm bringing good news to you. I'm bringing the gospel of the Greek culture. So I know you've had your own culture, you know, for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. Yeah, that, yeah, that might have been okay. But let me tell you about the good news of the Greek culture. The Greek culture is going to bring you health care. It's going to bring you uh, athletics. It's going to bring you education. It's going to bring you entertainment. Whatever you've been doing, yeah, whatever. But I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, I've got good news. So it was used as propaganda. I mean, he's trying to convince these people that I'm bringing you a, a really good thing. So that's Alexander the Great, 300 years before Jesus. Now fast forward to uh, Jesus, a contemporary of Jesus. I wanna read to you an inscription. So this was an inscription. This was an announcement that was made. And I, I took the name out here because I just want you to pay attention to the language, and then we'll talk about who this is about. Citizens, since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in blank, and that's a person's name, whom she, divine providence, filled with virtues for the benefit of all mankind, bestowing on us blank as savior of the world, for he has put an end to war and brought perfect peace. By the advent of his birth, he brought the gospel of peace to all mankind. For that reason, the Greeks of Asia have on this day declared that the new year should begin from now on, on the 23rd day of September, the day of the birth of this God. Never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his birth. He is not only Lord of the empire, but Lord of the earth and of the calendar and of time itself. I kind of gave it away a little bit, like who this is at, at the end. But, but before, before we say who, before we think about who this was, who, who does it sound like to us as you read this? Who, it sounds like Jesus, right? I mean, all these phrases, the savior of the world, put an end to war, brought perfect peace, advent of his birth. I mean, all of these terms were used. This was written in 9 BC, and it was about, who do you think? Augustus Caesar. Yep, that's exactly right. It was, it, this was about Augustus. So, and, and the inscription is called the, the inscription of Prien, which is in Western Turkey. So since divine providence has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with virtues for the benefit of all mankind, bestowing on us Augustus Caesar as savior of the world. I mean, just look at this, this language. I mean, this is amazing. So the, here's the thing. The the word gospel has been, was totally co-opted by Christians from the political world. And I love this because we 
we today really grieve a lot of times the fact that our, our holiday, this holy day about Jesus, has been co-opted by the world around us and by companies for, for greedy gain and all that. So we grieve that a lot of times, like the, the holiday is really not about what it's about. But what we need to know is that the word gospel was co-opted by Christians first. And so if you're gonna grieve, just you know, take comfort in, in that fact. When the, what this means is that when the gospel writers, this was written in 9 BC, and so when the gospel writers come along, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and they're writing the gospel of Jesus, they are being subversive to the, the, um, the government that is over them. I mean, this is, they're, they're using language of revolt because they're saying Jesus is actually the Prince of Peace. And it's actually the advent of his birth that is, is bringing good to, to all. And I, I love the fact that um, this, this doesn't end up, um, it doesn't end up living up to what was predicted here. Never will another gospel, this is a highlight from what we just read, never will another gospel surpass the gospel that was announced at his birth. And so remember, they're, they're changing the calendar to start at Caesar Augustus's birthday. What I love is that today, um, really, Augustus, Caesar Augustus is just a little bit more than a footnote in the gospel of Jesus and the fact that our calendar does, it was dated from the birth of Jesus. Call it what you want, common era, era or before Christ or whatever. It's still, it's, it's marked at the birth of Jesus, not Caesar. So being that the gospel writers are, are taking this language and they're applying it to, to Jesus, we, we have to understand that they were putting themselves in harm's way by, by doing that. Like, I mean, they're, they're announcing what is true. I mean, this is the true good news, but Rome doesn't like it when other people set themselves up to be king. I mean, the gospel writers are saying, this is the real king, and he's bringing a kingdom that's bringing actually good things, and Rome doesn't like it when there's a rival king trying to get set up against them. It gets people in trouble. It gets people crucified. That is the word gospel. So what does that have to do with trustworthiness and the trustworthiness of God? Well, into this world of promises that politicians were, were making and using that word, Jesus says, I, I am the one who's actually bringing you Peace. I am the one who's actually bringing good news. Let's look at the second word here in verse two. So Paul says, Romans one, um, that he was set apart for the gospel of God. So not, not Augustus or not Alexander, it's the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which he promised beforehand. Let's look again at the transliteration from, from the Greek. So remember, euangelion is good message. Promised beforehand is the word proepangelo. What do you notice about that word again? 
angel, angels, their message is there. So this is the before message. We had the good message. Now we have the before message. And Paul says it's through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which recall, if you were here recently, that um, the, the Scriptures for Paul are the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He didn't have all the New Testament yet. So the point is that the good news is not new. So the, the good news is, is not new. Um, Romans is huge on, on bringing continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's all these quotes. There's all these allusions. And, and the good news about Jesus' birth includes references to prophecy as well. And so I want to take a few minutes here and look at Matthew's Narrative. So we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 1, and you can let go of Romans for now, because um, we're going to be in Matthew. Roman, uh, Matthew 1, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and so he wanted to establish credibility with, with them. And I'm just going to go through this really quickly for sake of time, but I want you to just notice that just about the end of every paragraph in Matthew's um, nativity narrative in chapters one and two ends with a quote of, of prophecy. So we'll start in chapter one. Joseph has discovered that this woman, Mary, that he was betrothed to was found to be with child. And so in verse 20, it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So a messenger appeared to him saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So pay attention to that phrase because we're going to hear that several times. And then he quotes from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Moving on to chapter 2, the wise men come to visit. They come to Herod, and they say in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, here's the phrase again, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Quotation from Micah. Jumping down then to, so the wise men find uh, Jesus and then they move on. We got a surprise about that next week that I'm looking forward to. Verse um, 13 then, uh, it says, when, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord, there's a messenger again, appeared to Joseph in a dream. There's a lot of angelic activity going, around, going on around the arrival of Jesus an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and there remained until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. A quotation from Hosea, a little, little foretaste of what's coming next year. Just saying. All right, so then uh, Herod starts to kill the, the children who are under two years old. And so in verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And then when Herod died, they came back from Egypt. They went to live in Nazareth. And then the last one we'll look at here is verse 23. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So, so all of these prophecies and they're, they're unfolding and, and, and Matthew is saying they've been here all the time. Now we're starting to see how they're being fulfilled. And it's kind of like a, a prophecy, it's kind of like a flower that is unfolding. It's like the whole thing is there from, from the beginning, right? But we just can't see it all. It just takes time for it to, to unfold. And so the, the, the point of this is that the, the good, God's good news is not new, which is good news for, for you and for me. God, this, God didn't just come up with a plan like on the spur of the moment and scramble around. He's, he's always known what he's going to do, and he's told us about it from from ancient times, and now it's just unfolding piece by, by piece. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And so I've, I've used this before. I've, I've shared this idea of the, the odds of Jesus being able to fulfill before. So some of you have heard this, but some of you haven't, so I'll share it again. Some, some men did a, a study on the likelihood that one person could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. And there are, there are at least 60 major prophecies about Jesus, and you could count hundreds that, that are allusions to a Messiah coming. But, but just if we pick eight of the major prophecies, the odds of one person being able to fulfill those is the, the number one times 10 to the 17. So it's, it's a one with 17 zeros which is just kind of like, yeah, okay, what, what is that? Well, if, to, to help that be a little bit more concrete, if you took silver dollars and one times 10 to the 17th silver dollars and put them on the state of Texas, they would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. And so I don't, I don't know if you've been to Texas or if you've, I mean, you know, of course they say everything is bigger than in Texas. Um, that's not quite true. There's a lot of things that are bigger. It's a big state, so it's going to take you, like, you know, a better part of a day to drive from one part, one end to the other. It's a big state. So imagine two feet deep, and then you take one coin, and you mark it, and you bury it somewhere in the state, and you turn loose a blindfolded person to go find that one. The odds of that blindfolded person picking the one that's been buried there is the same odds of one person being able to fulfill eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So 
leave you with that. God is reliable and a promise keeper. What does all this mean for, for us? Well, the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is not, it's not some fly-by-night um, solution to the mess that human beings have made of, of the world. I mean, God knew it from the beginning. It's not a mad scramble to try to undo the mess. I mean, God knew it from, from the beginning. And we see that in the very first prophecy in, in all of Scripture. That's Genesis 3.15. This is God cursing the serpent who tempted the, the first man and woman to, to sin. And so the curse on the serpent was, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, his heel. So there's not a lot of detail in this prophecy, but it's the first hint that God had this in mind from the very beginning when sin entered the world. And he's saying there's, there's gonna be an offspring uh, from, from the humans and specifically from the woman. It's significant that he's saying there's an offspring. It actually says the seed of the woman. W- women don't have seed. So there's a very uniqueness about this. And then, he, and then God says, he is gonna bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. So you'll, you'll hurt him. I mean, I don't wanna have my heel hurt. I mean, that hurts, but it's much less than the damage of having your, your head bruised or crushed as Jesus will one day do. So this is the first prediction. And it helps us know that the gospel is not new. Um, the gospel is reliable and it's deeply rooted and it shows that God is worthy of our trust. So we can be confident that the promises God has made that he is, is going to keep. I'll just share with you a promise that I'm holding on to. See, we, we know that God will keep the promises that are current to us because he's kept the promises in the past. So I'll just share with you a promise that I'm holding on to right now. And I, I shared this last week when I was talking about Martin Luther, that he pounded on a verse that he was just trying to, to get his head around. And this is a verse that I'm pounding on right now from Colossians 1, 21 and 22. It says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Like, I'm just pounding on that because like, I'm just going, yeah, I don't feel holy and blameless and above reproach most of the time. And yet this is what, God says that he has reconciled to bring me to that point. So I'd encourage you, what what promise are you needing to hold on to right now that maybe you're thinking, it's not, I don't see this really happening in my life, but you hold on to it because of the character of the promise maker and and say, I I believe you, God. I don't know exactly how this is going to work out in my life, but I'm going to Hold on to it. Some of you need to hold on to this promise and the promise that we saw illustrated in the, in the baptism of saying, God, thank you that you will forgive me, that you will give me new life. If you've not embraced that new life this morning, please don't leave 
without talking with us. And, and even if you're ready to pray together about that, we, we would love to do that as others are, are making their way out here this morning in a moment here when, when we pray. Um, for all of us, we need to be deepening our faith by being in God's word. And so we've put some resources out on our blog. This is a perfect time of year. If you're not spending time um, in God's word every day, this is a perfect time of year to focus on what is the real meaning of, of this holiday. So we've got a number of blogs posted out there. Some of them are online. Some of them are books for you to buy. But I just encourage you to be in the word regularly this month. And, and watch that flower, that flower of God's promise be unfolding in, in your own life. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for its trustworthiness. Thank you for your character of being trustworthy. And we see that illustrated in Matthew and then in so many ways in other places uh, in scripture. And Lord, I know many, many people in this room could give testimony of how you have been faithful in their life. So Lord, help us to cling on to your promises, particularly even your promises for the future of your return, your second advent, because Lord, our world is in a mess and nobody, no human being has figured out or will be able to figure out how to fix that. Jesus, we need you to come and we do have hope in you during this advent and look forward to that return. Make us ready, Lord, to, to receive you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.